The reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 10, verses 6 through 14. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Uh, Grace kids, pre-K to second grade, see your time. Parents, could you lead your children accordingly? Thank you. Well, Proverbs chapter 10. Keep your Bibles open, that's where we're going to be. And we're going to see what wisdom has to say about how we use our words. Uh, You may not be aware that Solomon has more to say about how we use our words than anything else in Proverbs. It says more about how we use our words than how we use our time, than how we use our money, and how we use our bodies. Words is clearly really important, and how we use them is really important to Solomon. And honestly, now that I think about it and have four kids in our house. I probably use more of my time at home, like helping people understand how to use their words than anything else I do at home outside of maybe sleeping. You know, that, that's a harsh tone. That's, that's gossiping. That's a flat out lie. I mean, if you're going to speak like that, can you at least close the door so the neighbors don't hear us speaking like that? You know, and these, these kids... We spend the first two to three years of their life just waiting for that day when they're going to say their first words. And then we spend the rest of their lives trying to help them rein those words in. (laughs) Words have power. And it's not like Angela and I have nothing to hear about from Proverbs about how we use our words either because they certainly push our buttons. Love y'all. All All right. (laughs) Get back on Pat, on track. Words have power. Like words really do have power. We've heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the stupidest saying that has like ever been coined. I mean, it should read, sticks and stones may break my bones, which will heal soon after. But words, they can wound me forever. I know that doesn't rhyme, but it's still better than the original. I mean, words have real power to hurt you, to harm you, but also to bless you. When words are not used rightly and wisely, they don't change reality, but they change the way that we see reality. When people are speaking unwisely to you, when you are speaking unwisely, the way you view the world, the way you view others, and the way you view yourself changes, and it hinders your ability to make a good decision. In the words of John Piper, he says, words carry immeasurable significance. The universe was created with a word. Jesus healed and cast out demons with a word. Rulers have risen and fallen by their words. Christians have worshipped through words of song, confession, and preaching. Even in our technological age, politics, education, business, and relationships, they center on words. 
In James's letter, he, he, he compares our tongue, which is the producer of words, to the bit in a horse or the rudder on a ship or a small fire that becomes a raging forest fire because it's this little thing that has unbelievable, unbelievable power to either do good or bad. So with Proverbs 10, I want to look at this passage and I want us to see the harm of unwise words and the healing of wise words. That's what we're going to be looking at. So first, let's look at the harm that comes from unwise words. So this passage basically breaks down the beginning, the first half up until verse 10 is talking about how, uh, how unwise words harm us. And the second half after verse 10 talks about how unwise words hurt others. And I'm just going to take them in reverse. We're going to start by looking at how our unwise words hurt others. This is the, you know, the, probably the more easily understood part. So here are some of the parts of the second half that, that say just this. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So unwise words, words not used wisely, they have, they have effects, not just negative effects, but devastating effects on the community in which those words are spoken. So this is probably no surprise when we speak harshly to someone or about someone and it gets back to them, this can create wounds that would last a lifetime. When we hear these things spoken about us, I've heard some people describe these kinds of words as, as words that go in like a sword. You know, they go, the sword goes in and the sword comes out and the sword's gone and maybe cleaned up, but the wound is still there. It still festers. That's what these unwise and these harsh words can produce. And this is why Proverbs twelve eighteen says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. If you beat someone down with your words, often, they are going to believe some of, whether consciously or subconsciously, they're going to believe at some level. They're going to internalize what, it's, what it is that you've said to them or about them. And if it happens to be something that they're already insecure about, like the way they look or their abilities or their family background, then that is going to create a wound in them, an insecurity in them that is not just going to go away. It's going to change the way they view themselves in, in this new skewed reality that you've created for them. And so these kinds of words, they fall under an umbrella that I'm calling breaking somebody down. That, that's what these unwise words are doing. There, there's another category for just building yourself up. But this is more talking about the kind of unwise words that's just breaking somebody down. And some people are emotionally healthy enough to where it's not going to affect their reality as much as others. Some people are mature enough and old enough and wise enough, whatever it is. But there are other people who are younger, who are more tender, who are just more insecure. And these kinds of words can push them over an edge. I bet all of us in this room, think back to early, you know, elementary school or something. Like what was something that was said to you that was really hurtful by another student or a teacher or a parent? I mean, all of us can remember like this, these, now some of them seem trite, some of them were significant. I can remember in second grade when Jason Cooper told me that I was no good at football. Still with me. My in, NFL dreams were dashed that day. My reality was, was all changed because of those words. But I've had people in counseling sessions that they can, they can go back to one thing that their dad said when they were, before they were 10. 
And that one thing so changed the way they viewed reality. It distorted how they were to understand who they are that they're still trying to process and understand that comment in light of who they really are. These words have power. And those of us who do have let's say children in our care or people in our care who, who aren't mature and can't handle uh, and who are less able to handle these, uh, these negative words, these unwise words, we need to feel the stewardship even more keenly of being able to speak wise words into their lives. And we're talking about what that is in a minute. But just knowing the kind of harm we can do to people who are not old enough, mature enough, or stable enough to hear these kinds of words. We can, we can wound somebody for life. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So do you hear that? Death is in the power of the tongue. Death can really come from our words. And, and I would divide that up into two different kinds of death. First, we have this relational death, the death of the very thing that God has designed to nourish us and fuel us, relationships. This kind of speech, using words unwisely, it kills those relationships. So when we, when we say something negative, let's say we gossip or we slander or we lie, we're creating, we're creating barriers and boundaries and wedges between us and the person that we say it to, or if we say it to somebody else and it gets back to them, which it almost always does, we're creating barriers, relational barriers between us and them. And then let's say it never even gets back to them. You're creating relational barriers between you and the person you said it to, because at some level they're going to know you're not safe anymore. And then you're going to be creating relational barriers between that person and the person you spoke against. So these relationships are really severed and the result is isolation. The relationships that are made to give us life, we now live increasingly in isolation if words, the power of words, are not stewarded well in a community. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, that's that gossiper, a whisperer separates close friends. But words can't only kill us relationally. They actually can kill us physically. I mean, it says death is in the power of the words. And so in some cases you look over history and this is easy to see because there are you know, emperors or kings that have the ability with one word to make sure somebody dies. If you go back to ancient Rome and you have a, a coliseum full of people and there, often there was one gladiator left at the end and all of the, the audience there, they're waiting for the emperor to say one of two words, live or die. All he has to do is say die and by that one word, he has the power of death. But what we don't often realize is we have that same power. We may, we, not be, we may not be rulers, and it may take more than just one word at one time, but we have the power of death in our words. And so I want to talk just for a moment about bullying. I mean, bullying is something that has been around since a playground's been around. So I'm guessing forever. There's always been some sort of playground. Bullying's always been around. Yet now... In the era of internet and social media, we have this whole new kind of bullying. We have cyberbullying. So no longer, I mean, back when I was growing up, bullying was limited to the playground or the lunchroom when the teacher wasn't looking. And you still had to be kind of careful because everyone was seeing who it was doing the bullying. Now, 
you can do it behind a fake account. You can target certain people. You can target all the friends of the people you're bullying. You can do it any time of day. And so the anxiety and the stress and the depression that comes from cyberbullying is so much greater than it ever was. And the result is that young people are taking their lives because of it. That is death in the power of a tongue. And I, I speak to you kids here for a minute. How important it is that you use your words well because the people you're surrounded by are not old, they're not mature, and they can't, they, they can't process that kind of bullying the way maybe your parents could. And not only don't do it, but what an opportunity to stick up for people. I can remember really well this, this young girl in my grade, I don't remember her name, but she was bullied all the time talked about all the time and she she had to buy she bought these glasses with mirrors so she could see behind her and I don't remember ever contributing to the bullying but I wish I could go back and help her and support her and tell her who she really is and say nice things because death comes death can come just from words it has that kind of power and I think most of what I've said here is largely I I don't I don't anticipate a lot of disagreement. Maybe we'd put it under the category of good reminder, Jim. But what most people don't realize is that unwise words, they not only hurt other people, they hurt you. They hurt us when we use them. So this is the main point of the first half of the verses, six six through nine predominantly. And I'm going to read a few of those verses. But a babbling fool will come to ruin. A rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So this word babbling, it's literally lippy. And it's funny because I've said that to my kids. Don't you get lippy with me. I didn't know it was a biblical word. I'm going to use it a lot more now. Lippy, it, 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 you know, it just communicates a general category for this way of using words unwisely. I mean, and it, it, we use babbling to communicate lots of just, just overflow of words. But lippy isn't good. We get lippy, ruin comes from, for us. It's bad not only for other people, it's bad for us as well. And there are kind of two aspects to being lippy. First, it kind of shows where our heart really is. Because these words come from somewhere. Jesus says, out of the mouth, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's funny, I, I memorized that years ago with our kids in a song form. And it's so hard for me to say now without singing the song, but I'm not going to sing the song. That's Luke 6, 45. When you denigrate somebody, when you gossip about them, when you slander, abuse somebody with your words, you're actually showing the true state of your heart. But when we vocalize these thoughts, when we say these things, the result is that we believe them anymore. We don't just show the dark state of our heart. We actually are making our hearts a little bit darker by even saying it. I mean, that's the power that these words have to affect our very soul. So I want I want you to really see how this plays out. And I'm going to contrast it with confession. We, Matt did a great job of talking about confession. Confession actually softens your heart. It heals your soul. When you, when, you, when you vocalize something that you have done wrong to another person, it stings as it comes out. But there's this healing aspect to it. That's why confession is such a healthy thing, not just to God, but to other people as well. Because it heals our guilty conscience. It humbles our hearts. It softens our hearts. Well, when we vocalize unwise words, the exact opposite happens. We, we say something that isn't true, that isn't in accordance with reality. And after we say it, we actually believe it a little more. So it's not softening our heart, it's hardening our hearts. So what does this look like? 
As believers, we are called to believe the best in each other. But when we don't believe the best in each other, and then we vocalize something negative that's either to that person or to somebody else. I mean, we, we already believed it because it was in our heart, but when we vocalize it, we believe it more. And then there's this, this, this pattern. Well, then we believe it more and we're going to vocalize it more and we believe it more and it just becomes darker and darker. Our hearts become harder and harder. When we say something, when we look at somebody and say, you know, I hate you, you're an idiot. You know, you already believed that, but now that those words have come out of your mouth, you actually believe it more. And so it's hardening your own heart. You said it because you believed it and now you believe it more because you said it. And we've talked about how unwise words, they, they isolate a community. They isolate each other. But as our heart hardens toward all the people that we're speaking about, what's actually happening is we're the ones being isolated. We're the ones being cut off because our, our, our unwise use of our words is closing us off to all the people who God wants to give us life through. I mean, thinking that I can say these things, this gossip and this slander and these lies, and, it's, and I'm going to be okay, but everybody else is going to get what they deserve. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's not the way that it works. Proverbs 12 says, an evil man is ensnared by the transgressions of his lips. So an evil man, someone who's using this speech in this way, he's, he's caught in his own trap by his own lips. There's this darkening effect on those who use words unwisely. And at this point, somebody might be thinking, well, okay, I guess what I need to do is just not use my words unwisely. Don't tell somebody I hate them if I hate them. Well, I mean, that's, let's call that the first step. But the, the, the call in this passage isn't to just not use words unwisely. The call is to use words wisely. And so the call isn't just not to make sure our hearts don't get any harder. The call is that we would use words in a way that would bless others and bless us and actually soften our hearts and draw us close together. And so that's what I want to look at in the second part that we have here this morning. I want to go back into the passage and I want to look at what are wise words and how actually do they heal us. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So you can hear the blessing of, of, of wise words here. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of tongue. So we, we, same verse, but now we're looking at the life part. So death is in the power of the tongue. Now we, we're looking at life is in the power of the tongue as well. So here are, I have five characteristics of wise speech that I have drawn from this passage. And the first is that wise words are honest. And I really struggled between honest and true. I actually don't think wise words are only true. Honest is a higher bar. So look at uh, verse 6b and 9a. B means it's the second half. 9 means it's the first half. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So that's altering the reality. It's not honest. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. That's calling us to honesty. So honesty, when you're honest, you're not deceptive. Because you can be true, but still deceptive. Like, did you brush your teeth today? Yes. No, sorry, let me rephrase it. Did you brush your teeth? Yes. Today? Well, I mean, you didn't, not today. I mean, well, that, that's honest, technically, but it's not, it's not true. Did you, did you call your brother stupid? No, I never said that. What did you say? I said he was dumb. 
Well, I mean, it's, you're deceiving me even though you're being true. But wise speech is honest because those kinds of responses, they skew our reality and they prevent us from making, being able to make a good, wise decision in this case in, in our household. And when you distort reality by speech that isn't honest and is deceptive, by slandering and lying and gossiping or whatever it is, speaking too harshly, you will never get those words back. Do you realize that? Once they're gone out of your mouth, you will never be able to take them back. Alistair Begg tells a story um, about a woman back in the UK where he's from, and she goes to her pastor and she is confessing what he calls malicious slandering. And the pastor said, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go buy some chicken feathers and I want you to go put a chicken feather at the door of every house of where there's people that you've slandered. One, one feather for every person. And so she did it and she came back. She said, all right, I, I did it. And he said, well, here's a bag. I want you to go now and collect all the feathers that you, that you put out. She said, well, pastor, they're, they're feathers. It's windy outside. Who knows where those feathers are now? They could be anywhere around town. And he said, exactly. And so are your words. That doesn't mean you can't be forgiven for what you've done, but you can never get those words back. So honest, giving people a proper view of reality. Second, wise words are humble. Verse eight, the wise of heart will receive commandments. So this is the idea is receiving instruction. Of course, from the Bible, but also relationally. And I think this is really what's behind James's call to his admonition to be quick to listen and to be slow to speak. Because a wise heart, a heart who is humble, wants to listen before they speak, wants to take all the information in before they execute any kind of judgment. The wise and humble heart, even when things look bad against somebody, is going to ask good questions and, and look, is there any possible way that I could misunderstand what I'm seeing about you? Because I, I don't want to, to bring correction. I, I, I want, my hope is that I'm wrong and you're doing something right. So let's, let's listen before we execute any kind of judgment or, uh, yeah, judgment. A wise spouse, you know, is if, if, if they're humble, they're listening fully to their spouse before they're getting defensive and, and just coming in and, and solving the issue or, or putting their spouse down. We listen before we speak. But we can't confuse this idea of being humble with being non-confrontational. So you could skew this to say, well, if you're humble and you just listen, and then you're just not going to confront anybody. Well, no, confrontation is a, a good thing. We need confrontation. So we have these filters in our house of, of when do you say something? And it used to be, is it encouraging or not? That, that was our filter. And then I was disciplining a child, and this child said, well, that's not very encouraging. It's like, okay, well, maybe we need a better filter. Now, is it, are you building up or breaking down? That's the filter. Because you can, with a very humble heart, build somebody up by confronting them. And so are, are we building up or are we breaking down? Because if we're building up, then that's bringing us together. That's healing these wounds. That's, that's making the most of our relationships. If we're, if we're tearing down, that's what's pushing us towards isolation. And then third, wise words are economical. That means that you don't use more words than you have to. And the words you use, you use wisely. Economical words. And uh, 
I get this from verses eight and 10. The same phrase is repeated, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. I mean, this is again, it's lippy, but the reason we translate as babbling is because there is this idea of just like constant talking. Like, are you thinking about what you're saying before you're talking? It's just words like, like Michael Scott, who just starts talking, not knowing where he's going to end up at the end, but just hoping it'll land well. That's, that's not economical. That's not wise speech. Proverbs ten nineteen says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Now, this is a weird thing for me to talk about because every Sunday I stand up here for over half an hour and I give a sermon twice. And, you know, I recognize that I'm, I talk a lot <laughs> and I, I've heard people actually describe my job. One person said, yeah, Jim just talks for a living. <laughs> it's like, well, I hope I do more than talk for a living, but talking is a part of what I'm called to do, which puts me in, in more danger than say a librarian. I don't really know a lot about what librarians do, but I don't see them talking a lot. So I'd say less danger for librarians than for a pastor. So where there are more words, more things could go wrong. And this is why every politician has, you can look, Google any politician and have all these gaffes because you just speak enough. Something, something's wrong is going to come out, whatever side of the aisle you're on. But this isn't saying that words are bad. And this isn't saying that we should just be quiet. It's saying that we should know how many words to use and use those words wisely. Think about them, ponder on them. This is one reason I write out every word of every sermon that I write. I do go off script. Only those guys back there in the booth see when I do. But uh, I used to do it a lot more. And, but I realized most of the things that I regret saying in this kind of setting come from going off script and not really thinking about it and praying about it. So I, I make it a habit to write out every word so that I, I can just really prayerfully process it and then I've got that extra filter of the interns to say that's a stupid thing to say Jim don't dare say that which happens often um, so that's a part of me trying to be wise with this stewardship this privilege that I have I want to be economical I, I love the Mark Twain quote when he, he hastily wrote a letter to a friend and then at the bottom he said I'm so sorry to have written such a long letter I had not time for a short one it's hard to make your point in fewer words. It makes you more thoughtful. It makes you more nuanced. And it just makes you more of a blessing to the people you speak to. So I would, you know, I'd encourage you to think about when you're in groups. It could be a community group. It could be a classroom. It could be, uh, could be at work. You know, you always have that person who really is slow to speak, who's measured in their words, who isn't going to chime in on every topic. But what happens when that person speaks? It's like a pin drop. Everybody's listening because you know this person only speaks when he has something or she has something to say. So when you're economical with your words, you actually create words that are much more powerful. So under this umbrella of economy of words, I would also say we need to look out for reckless words and unguarded words because these are words that, that aren't used wisely. Remember, economical is uh, not needing more words than you, than you need, not using more words than you need, and the ones you use, use wisely. So we don't want to be reckless. We, we want to process what it is that's in our head before it comes out, especially if it's tense and heated. So if you go to the bank 
and I know a lot of people don't go to the bank the way that we used to, but it's still, I, I saw this the other week, still the case. You drive through and they have this tube that, you know, you put your money in or whatever you want to put in there and it's like a hundred miles an hour, boom, just gone and at its destination. So reckless and unguarded words. Imagine in your brain, wherever a thought is formed, it immediately is in a tube and boom, out the mouth. Like that, that, that tube needs to find a different route. It needs to go through a different processing center because if you sit on words for a day, they'll change. They'll become more wise. If we sit on our email for an hour, there's a good chance that email is not going to go out. If we sit on a text message for two minutes, two minutes, if it's tense, that might be all you need to not be throwing some reckless words around. Then fourth, wise words are loving and kind. Verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what does it mean to be kind and loving? And I've realized that in, in, in some places, there are such misconceptions about being kind and loving that make it oddly uncomfortable for people. People don't, it's like it's a sign of weakness to be kind and loving for certain people. It's actually the opposite. It's a sign of strength. I have a, a friend who's an attorney. He's a trial attorney. He's, he's older than me. He's been doing this for a long time. Um, he, he's actually not a Christian, but he exemplifies this really well. He is very well regarded. He's extremely successful as a trial lawyer because he's so respectful in the courtroom. And you know, he'll brag to me. He's like, I have never once in my decades of trials, never once raised my voice in a courtroom, which I understand is a pretty challenging thing to do. And, but he, he treats people with such kindness and dignity, even if it's the person on the other side of the courtroom, he treats them with the kind of kindness and dignity that makes everybody want to listen to him. Wise speech is kind, it's loving. So how do we, how do we know if our speech falls in that category of kind and loving? Well, it's a simple test of your motivation. Like what, what are you trying to do when you say these words? Do you want to put them down? Do you want to win? Do you, do you just, I mean, is, does it just fall under this category of I want to break this person down in some way? Because I'll have things that I want to say and maybe I can talk myself into saying these things, but when I put them through the test of what's my real goal right here, I can tell you, break the person down. And then I know that's my motivation. I don't need to say anything because I, we can all make these kinds of breaking down comments. We can coat them in all the false humility and Christianese we want. But if our motivation is off, they are not wise words and they won't bless other people and they will not bless you. If someone comes at me and it's just clear their motivation is to break me down. It is so hard for me to give any weight to what they say. You know, I'm just, I just, their motivation makes my walls go up, makes me not want to listen. But on the other hand, if someone comes to me and I can tell that it pains them to have to say a hard thing to me, but they're doing it not because they want to, they actually don't want to, but because they care for me and they want to build me up, man, I'll listen to that person. I'll really consider the critique that that person has to say. Their words are going to be more powerful and more helpful because their motivation is in the right place. And then lastly words, wise words are direct. Verse 10, whoever winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will come to ruin. 
So what are you doing when you're winking the eye? You know, you're not being direct. There's something going on that only we know, but we, we wink because we don't want him to know. Like you're not being direct in what you're thinking. You're not being straightforward in what you want to accomplish. You're being sneaky. Proverbs 10 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever, whoever utters slander is a fool. And so again, there's no tension here between being kind and humble and being direct. They all work together. I told our elders in the, our last elder meeting, we were just talking about how God's working in our life. And, and I say, honestly, this area of speaking directly is something God's really, really done a great work in me in over, let's say, the past two years. And, you know, I, I want to please people. I, I want to tell you what's good, something that I think is going to make you happy. Uh, Jim Davis, at his worst, is just a politician telling people what he thinks they want to hear. But over the past two years especially, God has done this work in me to make me really not only be able to speak directly, but to begin to delight in it. Because I know actually what's best for you and for me is that I shoot you straight, regardless if you're going to like what I have to say or not. And it's just been such a blessing and freeing for my soul to be able to love people in this new way and speaking more directly to them. And so when we have these words... That these wise words that build others up, words that are honest and humble and economic and kind and direct, these words are powerful. And so we want to go full circle here. Remember how I said the key isn't just to not use unwise words. Right? The call to the Christian is to employ the use of wise words. Because when we employ the use of wise words, we're not only blessing others, we're blessing ourselves in the process. And we're not pushing each other and ourselves towards isolation. We're drawing ourselves into this beautiful relational community that mirrors the Trinity. We were made in the image of the triune God. A triune God that has been speaking inside the Godhead for all of eternity past. And when we model that, we model the relationship that the triune God wants us to have with each other. Tim Keller on this, he says, God knows within himself the absolute joy of perfect communication. That is communication that blesses others and blesses ourselves. And he has made us in his image. But we still have one problem. Remember, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. So we're only going to be able to speak as wisely as our heart allows us to. Proverbs sixteen twenty three says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. So there's, there's a heart issue that we have to wrestle with if we're really going to step into this kind of, of wise, wise speaking. So how do you change your heart? Well, First, we need to acknowledge that we have a heart problem. Like, why is it that we, not just that we fall in to bad habits, we want to slander. We want to gossip. We want to lie. We want to break people down. Why is it that we, we, we want to do those things? We want to do those things because we're sinful. That's the heart that we have. And we have to acknowledge that first to be able to see Jesus who only had perfect words because he spoke out of a perfect heart. Jesus modeled this, this wise speaking and blessing others perfectly because he had, no, he had no sin in him. And so when he went to the cross on our behalf, when he was up there, God ceased 
to speak to him, to give him the words that Jesus had known from eternity past. These blessings, these words that created, these, these words of love and mercy and goodness that created a deep sense of security and relationship and fellowship. On that cross, Jesus got only God's wrath. So God is communicating with Jesus in a whole new way because Jesus is taking on the penalty we deserve because of our bad hearts and our bad words that come from them. And then we receive the kind of communication that Jesus deserves. We receive these blessings, uh, these words of, of love and mercy and grace and truth because we are now every bit as righteous in God's eyes as Jesus himself. He gives us that righteousness. He takes the punishment of our sins. And in that moment, God, through his Holy Spirit, comes into our hearts. And that's when we begin to hear him speak new, really, for the first time. And he speaks clearly to us through his word, obviously. But he also speaks to us through creation. We, we hear things from God through relationships and people in the church that we've never heard before. Now God is speaking to our hearts because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Because Jesus has given us this new access of communication to God. And the result is that our, the words that come out of these new hearts are going to bless others and bless ourselves. And so yeah, I've been, I feel like I've been like a one of those monkeys you pull the cord with and they just say the same thing over and over over the past few months. But as people come out of COVID, as there are new people in the church, my greatest desire is that people would really be relationally connected to other people in this church. And really the easiest way for that to happen is through using wise speech, caring about other people, blessing them, and then blessing yourself and seeing the result is not isolation, but relation. And then there are some of us who have been here for a long time it's been a hard couple of years and we have some repenting to do. There's some things that we've said that have not been these things. They've not been honest, humble, economic, kind, direct. And God wants healing for your soul. He wants healing for your relationships. And so there's a call to those of us who are there. But God's hope isn't just that we wouldn't say stupid things. God's hope is that we would be transformed new creations, speaking blessings to those around us and being blessed as we do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ways that you communicate to us, for the ways you open our eyes and our ears when we, we, we don't want to hear and we can't hear. You, you make us here. You give us this gift that we didn't have before. And you do that through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that through that same Spirit, you would, you would bless us today by making us not just able to speak wisely or able to not say dumb things, but make us really desire and delight in wise speech that builds each other up. I pray that for everyone in our midst. I pray that for the youngest in these houses. I pray that for the parents who shepherd them, for grandparents, for college students, wherever we are, God, I pray that you would bless us with the desire and delight of wise speech. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.